0: Uh, there's a song, a verse in that song that we didn't sing. It's actually one of my favorites. It, the, the phrase goes like this: Hopefully, I remember it. When this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then a nobler, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy, a nobler, sweeter tongue, I'll sing thy songs to praise. Um, I love that hope that though we're weak and stammering, now there'll be a day when Jesus finishes work in us when our bodies are laying in the grave, that we'll have a a tongue that can sing better praise, more more golden and and beautiful praise to our Savior God because he's given us a resurrected body. Would you you pray with me? God, I I do feel weak. I, I have no doubt about my weakness. But God, we do have supreme confidence in your strength and in your power. God, all of us here are weak and in need of your strength and empowering. God, none of us want to do this on our own. So so we pray for this time today as we gather to continue worshiping. God, I pray you would use it. I pray you would use it, that you would help our hearts to hear what you would say to us through your words. God, I'm, I'm praying that your power would be stronger than the slowness of our ears and the hardness of our hearts. God, I'm praying that you would help me to teach in a way that shows that you're strong. I'm praying that you would be stronger than the weakness of my words. God, we're praying that you'd be glorified. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. You you may be seated. Well, church, let me just say, uh, I love getting to start a a service off with baptism. Like, you can put masks on, but you can't stop the gospel from actually moving. And it's something we should be celebrating, that when there's people that that say, listen, I— I've placed my trust in Jesus, but at some point I need to stand in front of everyone and go into that water and demonstrate in in an image what Jesus has done in my heart already. That I'm showing all of you that I identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I don't want us ever to get used to that. I want that to be a thing that makes us happy and celebrate, that it reminds us of the power and goodness of the gospel to still change lives today. like I, that, That's one of the things that we're about. Now, but before I get to preaching, I, I forgot to mention this. If you're visiting today, we're really glad that you've, you've decided to join us. We, we take that as an honor. Uh, I'll, I'll be down front with the other pastors. We would love to meet you at the end of the service. Just come by and say, hey, we just love to get a chance to, to just thank you for visiting today. Um, today, we're actually finishing our sermon series on Do Justice, Love, Mercy. Um, we've been in that for uh, seven weeks now. This is the seventh week, and and we're wrapping it up. And I'm, I'm excited to wrap it up because it's been a difficult sermon series. I'm ready to get back into the book of Philippians. Um, it's been hard because the thing that we've been looking at is has been what does God say about justice? What, what does his word say about the things that are happening today in our society around us? And that hasn't been fun and pleasant or easy, but it's been, it's been good for us. And as I was thinking about this, uh, this past year, I started thinking about December 31st, 2019. That that was the night that we welcomed 2020 into existence. And, and I got to be honest, I don't know how many of you stayed up to welcome 2020 into existence, but I hope you did a lousy job of it because 2020 did not deserve it. I went to bed I've got little kids, but I've decided that this year on December 31st, I'm staying up not to welcome 2021, but I'm ready to say goodbye to 2020. It has not been a pleasant year. Okay, good. Okay, we can clap on that one. I'm happy about that. That may start off too negative, but listen, we are over it. I can't wait to see the memes and the gifs that will be posted on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram starting at the end of December. You can start now saying goodbye to it. We can celebrate for all of September, October, November, December that this year will, at some point, come to an end. But, but I have to say this, that the reason this has been tough is because it's been tense. We've been dealing with pandemic, with injustice, with racial issues, civil unrest, and an election cycle on top of it. And for each and every single one of those things, there doesn't seem to be any good solution, right? Like th- There's nothing that's coming across our path that says, that's going to fix it. Right. In, in all of it, nothing's going to fix the, the chaos that's happening because of pandemic. It doesn't seem like we have any good a- answers for racial issues, for civil unrest, for the election. None of it feels good. And in the midst of all of those things, we've been looking at what the Bible says about justice and this high expectation that God has for it, that we would be a people, a people who care deeply about the way God, about justice and the way that God defines it, which is more than just right and wrong. It's also caring for the vulnerable and the weak and maintaining good relationships with one another. That's, that's the whole picture of God's version of justice. And when we look at that, it feels really overwhelming. I mean, at least I feel overwhelmed. That we talk about justice, and when I begin to ask the question, so what am I supposed to do about all of this? We begin to ask that question. Now it just feels like, man, this. I feel pretty helpless. Uh, I feel pretty helpless when I ask the question, what do I do with a pandemic? I, I can't stop it. I, I don't even actually know what's happening with it because the information is so mixed and varied and agenda filled. It's hard to know what's happening. So it makes me feel helpless. How do I even know who to trust? It makes me feel helpless. When I start thinking about an election cycle, it makes me feel, is anyone else feel helpless or is that just me? Okay, good. The rest of us feel aggravated. I don't know. You either feel helpless or angry. I'm not sure which one. If there's another emotion out there, I would love to hear it. Uh, emotional, is, emotional feelings are not my strong point. But um, helpless or angry, I, I start thinking of all that. I start thinking about what do you do about injustice that seems to be happening in our country? We, we know it's there. We know there's injustice. We don't want to deny that. But there's a point where we say, well, we feel pretty helpless. What are we supposed to do about injustice? And then... Then you also see civil unrest and frustration. You say, well, what am I supposed to do about civil unrest, about riots and looting? You feel pretty helpless. Maybe you've bought more guns. I don't know what you've done to to feel less helpless, but it feels completely out of our control. And then when we talk, then we look at the ideas that are getting traction in our culture, and we see, man, what is that going to do in 20 years As these agendas and ideologies grow deeper, we begin to feel more helpless and more frustrated and more aggravated. And then when you think about racism and all the stuff connected with that, man, that issue feels really complicated, and we still feel helpless. Man, I I look at all that, and like, man, what a waste of a sermon series. You just spent six weeks making me feel mad and helpless. Well, no, I don't believe that's the answer. I want to remind you where we started. We started this entire sermon series in the book of Psalms talking about the bigness and greatness of God. And we talked about the power of his gospel so that we have confidence in God and hope that the gospel is stronger than our sin and weakness. And that's the same place that I want to wrap up this sermon series today. I'm a, I don't want to wrap it up in helpless. The thing I want to, to show you today is what is God going to do at the end of all this? Where does it all end, and what are we supposed to do next because of that? So here's where we're going to be. We're going to be in the book of Psalms. You can open to Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, uh, hope you do. You can open up there if you've got your screens and you haven't downloaded the app or whatever Bible app you've got. If you don't have any of that, good news, we have a screen, so we'll help you out there. Um, but I would love for you all to bring your Bibles. It's good for you to actually see it in the book or on your app instead of thinking, I could put anything I wanted up there. You need to double-check it, right? So Psalm chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Now listen, I'm going to tell you this. This psalm is pretty strong. Like, it's like I, I don't know what you think when you normally think of, of the songs of the Bible. we n- normally think about music, it's happy or it's maybe they're, they're sad. This one is, like, strong. It's actually got a little bit of fierceness to it. Like this is like a braveheart type psalm, Gladiator, whatever your favorite manly movie is. You need to think savageness, and you think about this psalm. in the book of psalms so psalm chapter 2 it's it's intense and listen it's a perfect spot i think for us to turn to when when the entire world around us feels out of control and we feel helpless or agitated we need to go to places like psalm chapter 2 because the truth in there is what gives us this bedrock foundation of how to engage the things happening around us here's what it says in psalm chapter 2 verse 1 why do the nations rage And the people's plot in vain. That that word rage, it's it's almost like the the word you would use when an ocean has a massive thunderstorm. It's just tumultuous. It's just, it's up in arms. It's just tossing back and forth and violent and angry. Why do the nations rage? Literally, can, can I think of a better verse to describe our world right now? And then it says, why do the people's plot in vain? Can't think of a better description of election cycles. That was probably too much. Um, there's plotting. There, there's planning. They've, they've got this thing. Everyone's up in arms. Everyone's agitated. There's this frustration and angst and anger. They're, they're raging angry, and there's plotting and planning and secrecy and manipulation. Good grief. Like, what is wrong with people? doesn't make me feel like I've got lots of hugs coming my way because of this passage. They're just they're, they're absolutely insane and and the psalmist is going to get shocked at this cuz look at what they do in verse 2. It says this, "The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Like, here's these kings that paints this picture. Yeah, the nations are angry and they're plotting it. And kings, they're digging their heels in. They're getting ready for something. There's, there's something or someone they're ready to stand against. They're saying, you know what? I'm done. I'm not giving another inch. I'm king. I'm digging in. You've got them making alliances with one another. Hey, we need to work together to stop this like they're they 're plotting they 're conspiring they got all these things going on they've they 've said that 's it that 's enough they 're angry the, things are violent, things are in an uproar there 's plotting and manipulation and there 's alliances happening back and forth and and all for what? look at the end of verse two here 's what the psalmist is saying is happening. It looks chaotic, it looks angry, but what 's really happening in the background is this that these these kings, these rulers, these peoples, these nations, they're doing all of this against the Lord and against his anointed. That, that's a, a pretty grim picture, right? That, what he's saying is happening. In reality, it may not, we may not see all of that, but he's saying in reality what's happening is that they're digging their heels in and setting themselves up against the rule of God. Now you may be sitting there saying, wait, are you telling me that when Congress gets together, there's meetings in the back room where they're saying, Listen, this whole we gotta we gotta deal with God. You're telling that the United Nations has secret committees that deal with how to how to get rid of God? Uh, that every nation has these secret teams. There's probably a secret group that it's called the Pentaverite or something. I don't know. We'll make up names or some. See, they, they meet biannually in a place called the Meadows to, to throw off the rule of God. Is that, is that what you think I'm saying? Like, no, that, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Here's what I think the psalmist is saying here. That in the heart of all humanity, every single one of us, there's this rebel. And we don't want God to rule. We don't want him in charge. We don't want him telling us what to do. We don't like it. It's in the heart of every individual man, woman, and child that we don't want him as king. We want us as king. We want it our way, in the way we want it, at the time we want it. We want to be in charge. And that's in the heart of every person, that means it's in the heart of every nation. And in the heart of every king, and in the heart of every ruler, and every country is ultimately a heart that says, we don't want Jesus as king. Because it's not just against God, it's against His anointed. Look at how they describe it in verse 3. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. You get a picture of how they view the ruler of God, the ruling of God. His kingship, they, they painted pictures of slavery. Let's get these chains off of us. It's too restrictive. Cut the cords. He's, he's tying us down. Like this whole idea of obeying God and doing what he says, it's, it's way too restrictive. It feels like it's, it just locks us in. It feels like prison and oppression. It feels like slavery. Right? Like, isn't that how some people view obeying the commands of God? Right? I mean, isn't that isn't that in some way, shape, and form and we want to disobey God? Isn't that the thing that happens inside many of us? That what we really want is his rules feel too restrictive. It feels like I lose something. I'm giving something up. It doesn't feel like he has the right to tell me that. Listen, here's how rebellious we've gotten about God. Like just think through where our culture is on this. We don't want him to tell us what our gender is. We don't want him to tell us who we can have sex with or when we can have sex. We don't want him to tell us who we can marry. We don't want him to tell us who we can date. We don't want him to tell us any of that stuff. And it's not just outside the church. You know, those conversations aren't happening in the church. Like, we we don't want him to tell us how to spend our time or how to do church life. We don't want him to tell us how to spend our money and how to do our families. We don't actually want him to tell us what to do because deep in our hearts, there's this rebellion in us, rebellion against God and his son, Jesus, who is king. It's not, uh, I know that God's commands can feel like restraint. I want to give one quick illustration of uh, how restraint is actually a really good thing for us. Um, I think I've told you all this story before, but when I was 21, uh, I was stupid. I mean, dumber than I am now. Uh, that's a I guess stupid as relative, but I was really stupid at 21. It was a level of just awesomeness to behold. Um, and me and my friends, there was this rock climbing tower at this camp. It was over 40 feet tall. It was actually, I think, 45 or 50 feet tall. We decided we wanted to climb this thing. It was shut down. They'd taken out the bottom thing so we couldn't do it. Uh, but we didn't like the idea that it was closed at a certain time. And we didn't want to do, go through all the trouble of getting the ropes and the harnesses You see how stupid this is, right? Uh, It was all too constraining. So I decided to climb it without ropes and a harness. Uh, Did did I mention I was stupid? I don't know if y'all picked up on that little minor detail. Uh, I can prove it. I can prove it over and over again, right? So I decided to climb this thing without a rope. Listen, it felt free and amazing, and it was an adrenaline rush until I fell. I fell 40 feet. I should have died. I broke my back and ankle. Uh, it was not a pleasant experience, and it, it was this journey of hum- humiliation from God that lasted for quite a while. It's still not my favorite story to tell. Um, it doesn't show wisdom or smarts, but, but here's what it does show. Those restraints that God sometimes puts on us are actually the safety line to keep us from falling to our death. We don't, we're not as smart as we think we are. We don't actually know what's best. And think about the arrogance to tell the all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe, uh, I think I'm going to pass on that advice. I'm going to do this my way. You, you see how stupid that is? Does any? I mean, when you actually think about it, it's shockingly stupid and insane that we would repeatedly, even as followers of Jesus, we would repeatedly tell him, no, I'm going to do this my way, the way that I want. Listen, church, the arrogance of the rebellion of our hearts is shocking. And that is the state of our world. That's how God, when he writes the, the diagnosis of our world, what he's writing is rebellion. It's, it's in rebellion to my rule. Sometimes we use phrases like it's sin, which sounds nicer in a church setting. But, but he calls it just straight wicked rebellion. Every little, bit, every little bit of rebellion is wicked and it's against the almighty God, the ruler of the universe. So how is he going to respond to this? I mean, how is God in heaven who literally keeps us breathing and keeps our hearts beating, that holds our molecules together, how is he going to respond when these people look at him and say, no, I don't want you to rule. We've got people with us. We're, we're planning, we're plotting it uh, in secret so you don't know about it. I've got like these three guys with me. They're big and huge, so all three of us are going to team up and fight you. How do you think God's going to respond to that? <laughs> he laughs. Listen, I'm glad you're reading ahead. This is perfect. Look at verse 4. Look at what he says. He, he doesn't even get up. It's not even a big enough threat for him to even get out of his seat. He who sits in the heaven laughs. Oh, that, that's cute, guys. I, I see you trying to sneak around and plot, trying to rage against me. You're trying to get all your buddies together so maybe you can outnumber me. He laughs. And this one's hard he says he holds them in derision. you see that there i mean it's just shockingly like the Lord holds them in derision he he's disgusted by it and he 's mad at it he's raging angry he's He's literally sitting there saying, listen, really, that, that's what you want to do? I despise your weak, stupid little rebellion. And I'm laughing at it. And I'm sitting here just laughing as you try over and over and over again to say you don't want me to be king. As if you get to choose. He's not democratic in that way. We didn't elect him. He is king whether we like it or not, whether you want it or not. He is king because that's who he is. He's that big. He's that huge. He's that great. And he laughs. And he hates the rebellion. He despises it. It's shocking our stupidity. And no matter what we say, no matter how many plans we make and how we try to justify it and weasel out from underneath it, he is still in charge. And you can't stop it. You can't get out from underneath it. You can feel like you're not underneath his rule, but you are whether you like it or not. I am, whether I like it or not, whether I feel it or not, whether I see it around me or not, he's still king. But listen, he doesn't just laugh. Like he just laughs, despises the rebellion, but then he does something in the next verse. Because while he's laughing, everyone's having fun. But then he speaks. He doesn't even have to get up. He doesn't have to flex his muscles. He just has to speak and look at what happens. He says this then he will speak to them in his wrath. He's not happy about it, he's not overlooking, overlooking it or minimizing it. He's mad about rebellion because he's king. No king overlooks a rebellion. He speaks to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. saying, listen, when he begins to speak, it makes you scared. You see what happens? He speaks to them in wrath, and they get terrified. Like this is the, my stomach is in knots, my knees are knocking, my head is spinning, I'm starting to feel like I'm going to pass out, and I probably do. I'm so scared, I lay down and hope he thinks I'm dead, hope he can't hear me breathing type of fear. This is a fear you've probably never really experienced in real life because he's there and he sees everything and he's huge and he's strong and he's mad. He's piping hot angry about rebellion against his rule and he should be. And when they hear him speak with anger, when you hear it, it makes you feel like you're going to unravel because you're doomed. And then here's what he says, verse 6. As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Oh, you want to rebel? You think you're king? Listen, I've already decided who's king, and I've already put him there. His name is Jesus, and he's going to reign, and you don't get a vote or a say in it. and then Jesus begins to speak and he tells what God has said to him. Here's the words of Jesus. I will tell of the decree. Here's what he said. Here's what God said to me. You're my son. Today I've begotten you. He said, I'm a son. Jesus is his son. He's going to treat him like a son. He says, ask of me and I'll make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possessed. So I'm going to give you every single nation and every square inch of land on the entire planet. It's all yours to rule over all of it. Every people, every nation, every tribe, every language, every inch of land is yours, your king. That's what he told Jesus. This is what you get it all. And I decide we're not taking a vote. I'm not going to split it up. Satan gets this one and you get this one. No, you get it all. And then verse 9, it's for these rebels, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He's like, Listen, they want to rebel against you. Here's what's going to happen it's going to be like a dude with a baseball bat going after a vase. That doesn't end well for the vase. These people think they're strong and powerful. They think they can actually throw it off or just pottery. And you've got a baseball bat. Now, right now, some of you should be uncomfortable. Anyone uncomfortable? Okay, too uncomfortable raise your hands. Or maybe I lost you. I don't know, but let me keep going here. Listen, you probably should be asking this question. I mean, I don't know. That doesn't sound like Jesus in the New Testament to me. I mean, I thought God was love. I thought he was merciful and gracious and patient. Listen, he is all of those things. But don't mistake his grace, mercy, and patience for permission to rebel. He's shockingly patient. But we are shockingly rebellious. And there'll be a point that time to repent is over. Now, listen, I I want to show this to you in the New Testament. I, I mean, in my quiet time, I've been in the book of Revelation. That's probably why I'm so agitated this morning. Um, but I've been in the book of Revelation and uh, l- listen to what I see here in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, so you can keep your finger in Psalms, we'll be back. But but look at what's in Revelation 19, verse 11. It says this, it says, Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. You're going to find this is Jesus. That's his name. He's faithful. He's true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. In righteousness, he does it. It's right and it's just and it's good. It is the right thing to do. He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diamonds. He's got tons of crowns because he's over everything. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Either that's his own or other people's. It's not really clear. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. If you know John, that's one of his names for Jesus. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses... And from his mouth, look at this, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen, when Psalms 2 talks about that he's going to break them with a rod of iron, it's talking about Revelation 19. Listen, the fury and wrath of God is justified and it's terrifying. me flip back to Psalm chapter two, because I don't want you to mistake a gracious God for a permissive God. You need to see the bigness and the greatness. And when you feel the world spinning out of control, we need to remember that he is king and he will make it right. And we are in rebellion against that king. But then there's wisdom. You've got the nation's plan and God's response and Jesus' declaration and then wisdom has this recommendation it's going to make in verse 10. So how should we respond to this huge, massive God who says Jesus is king and everyone's in rebellion against him and he's going to strike them like a baseball bat on a clay pot? Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Hey, listen, He's coming back, listen, kings, rulers, people, don't be stupid. Be wise. You need to think through this. How are you going to respond to that Jesus now matters how you get to respond to him then. Verse 11 and 12, he says this, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But what does wisdom say? It says, listen, you better listen up. You better make things right with him, and you better do it quick. Don't stall. Don't delay. Don't think you've got another chance. Listen you better go and you better go quick because there's a king like that that's big and strong and you can't stop him and he's mad because you've been in rebellion. You better run to him and say, listen, I need to make things right. Don't dig your heels in. Don't plot. Just surrender and say, you know what, you're right. You're king. You're in charge and I'm not. And there's actually good news in this passage. I want, to know, I want you to notice two things. Look at the end of verse 11. It says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. What sounds happy about this to you? You want me to to serve him and and be happy? I thought he was going to kill me. (laughs) Like, how am I supposed to be happy about this? He even says this at the end of verse 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You have a choice. You can either rebel against God, or you can go to him and say, I need you to protect me. Those are your two choices. That's actually the good news. Here's the good news I want to remind us all of. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says this. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Listen, there's good news in all of this. The good news is it didn't stop there in Psalm chapter 2, that this continued, that God in his grace and mercy came and said, these people are rebellious and stubborn and they're plotting and they're raging. And instead of just striking them all dead, I'm going to make a way for them to get to me. So he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. He he died. He paid the full penalty for all rebellion and all stubbornness, all, all resistance to his rule. He paid the penalty for all injustice. And all racism and all immorality and all brokenness and all he paid the price for all of it himself. You see, the king came and said, "Listen, I'm going to pay the debt for these rebels." And he came back to life. he said, "Listen, I, if you'll just ask me and trust me, I will save you. Repent of your rebellion. Come and trust in me for refuge, in my work, not yourself. Don't be arrogant. Don't be cocky. Don't bring anything to the table. to say, you know what? You're king. I'm not. I, I'm going to trust in what you did, not in what I've done, because all I've done is rebelled. And if you will trust, he says, listen, that's great. You get in here. I'm going to protect you. You become not just a rebel that was forgiven. You become a son or daughter. He adopts you. Like, listen, I want you to be overwhelmed by the mercy that he is showing. listen. This is phenomenal. So, so how should we respond to this? First, I just want to say this. We should repent and believe the gospel. If, you have never, if you've never had that time where you said, you know what, I'm done with my rebellion. I'm going to place my trust in Jesus. If you've never done that, listen, that's the very first step for all of us. Because listen, that's the wisdom at the end of that psalm. Be warned. Don't drag your feet and delay about this. And don't think you'll get off the hook. He's too big. He's too strong. He sees everything. The second one is this as you see everything in upheaval around us, listen, when you begin to lose hope because of whatever you're seeing on the news, can I just remind you? Can we hope and believe that Jesus will fix it all? They're not getting away with it. And he's being shockingly patient. So no matter who gets elected as president, no matter what laws Congress passes, no matter what Supreme Court justices do, no matter what rebellions and things happen in this world, no matter what, Jesus is still king and he will come and set up shop and he will make it all right. Can we hope and trust in that and let that calm us down a little bit so we're not in straight panic? Listen, listen, Don't place your hope in anything else. Whatever you do, do not place your hope in the Democrats or the Republicans because they're all rebelling against God. You set your hope in Jesus and him alone because no one else can save and no one else can rule. Listen, don't place your hope in some reform. It won't do it. It just won't. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote, and I'm not saying we shouldn't plan and help a part of reform, but it's not the ultimate savior. Our only hope is that Jesus comes and finishes the work. So hope and put all your eggs in the basket of Jesus doing what he said he's going to do. And there's a third thing. We worship. We marvel at his patience. Like, man, God, I can't believe you're this patient. Like, You know, when you watch on the news and you see looters going and destroying a store, what do you feel? Anybody feel rage? You think God doesn't feel rage? I want you to marvel at his patience, that he's waiting, giving people a chance to repent. Listen, I want you to think about yourself. Think about him seeing everything that you've looted with your sin every relationship you've stripped bare, every person you've used, everything you've done in rebellion against him. And I want you to marvel that he shows us patience and love, right? Like he looks at you right now and he's saying, come to me. I got you. You better do it quick. So marvel at that. And here's the last one. We engage in the mission. We, we engage in the mission. Listen, listen, God's plan for the church was not, listen, huddle up and just watch the people in rebellion and just wait for me to show up. He was like, No, you don't huddle up and just wait for me to show up. I've got sons and daughters out there that need to hear the good news. I want them as my sons and daughters. He wants the rebels. He he wants us. So we don't sit here and huddle up in these in this room. We go out and engage because he wants them and he loves them. He wants them as sons and daughters. An idle, lazy, disengaged church disrespects the the coming of Jesus Christ. We cannot be that. We cannot sit by idly while our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our family members live in rebellion against him. We don't rage against the darkness. We bring the love and grace and mercy and light of the gospel to the darkness. That's what we're supposed to do. Church, he's coming back, and he's going to be king. And when he comes back, it will be terrible and awful and right. But he offers hope, really good hope. He offers security, like ultimate security. He offers cleanness and forgiveness. He offers to be part of the family. Listen, when King Jesus comes, we'll get to be with him or against him. Which one are you? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to give us a moment to think about the word. Think about how God would call us to respond. We're right there in your seat. If, uh, if the thing that stood out to you is that God is saying to you, you know what? Uh, I actually need to place my trust in Jesus. If you've never done that, like for real, like you've not, like you've really had an encounter with Him where you've played, if you haven't done that, now I just want to encourage you. You can do that right there in your seat. You just tell Him, God, I just forgive me. I'm done being a rebel. I want to place all my trust in Jesus. Will You save me? That that is it. He doesn't make you grovel doesn't make you earn it. You just ask. Listen, if that's you, I want to tell you our pastor will be down front. We would love to talk to you. Anyone here would love to talk to you about what God's doing in your heart in that. Don't leave here today. You're not sure what happens on the way. I'm not doing that to scare you. That's just in the passage. Listen, the other thing that I want you to hear for some of you, the thing that stands out is you felt the angst and the frustration as you see everything unravel around us. Can I just, can you just take a moment and say, cast all your anxiety, cast it all on Him, right there in your seat. All your frustration, all your worry, and say, Jesus, I'm trusting in You to come back and make it right. I, we, we want You to do this. Listen, maybe you spent more time being angry at what's happening instead of being grateful for the mercy of God. If that's you, can you just take a moment and just worship him for being patient? Can you worship him for being a big king? Finally, here's what I'm asking all of you to do. Can can you pray in your seat for God to help us as a church re-engage the mission to this city? We have work to do. Would you pray for him to help us do that? Heavenly Father, God, we, we come to you. You're like the great and huge king of the universe. We come to you and we're amazed that you let us do it. God, we we believe you're worthy and you're strong and you're powerful and you're king. God, we believe it's a scary thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But God, we also believe that you're good and you're gracious and you're kind and you're merciful. And God, we, we are in awe of the mercy that you've showed us. God, would you help us as a people? Would you help us to engage our fellow rebels with your good news? God, would you call many sons and daughters to you through us? Would would you do that? God, would you make us a church that would awaken to this mission that there there are men, women, and children that need to know your invitation for restored relationship? God, help us to do that. Help us do it effectively and clearly. God, show us how to be that kind of people. And I pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen.